What's going on, everybody? This episode is brought to you by On Deck Clothing. On Deck Clothing is a company started by a friend of mine who believes not only in the restoration of our resources from the ocean, but to recognize and acknowledge the men and women who work through the ocean in order to make a better way of life for us and to provide a better tomorrow for our kin. On Deck Clothing gives back to those men and women who sacrifice time and replace it with dedication and hard work by creating a community who represents those sacrifices for those who leave their families behind for days, months, or even years. For those who sail the seas, rain or shine, whilst wind breaks their backs. On Deck Clothing gives back to those individuals, something that unites us as a whole and as one. Come support these men and women with us at On Deck Clothing. For a limited time, now this is for a limited time, so make sure you're listening. If you mention this podcast, you will receive free domestic shipping. Oh, because we all love free shipping. Who wants to pay that extra cost? On any order, big or small. You can also catch On Deck Clothing on Facebook at On Deck Clothing Co. Or on Instagram at On Deck Clothing underscore to purchase anything that you want from their pretty cool selection they have i'm a fan um i will actually be wearing one of their shirts on the next podcast possibly on youtube and be represented in anytime i get a chance but if you are interested in purchasing it which i'm pretty sure you are you could go on on deck clothing on their facebook or instagram you could dm them text them or call them and once again mention verbally harassed podcast and you can get free domestic shipping on any order big or small and that's On Deck Clothing, O-N-D-E-C-K-C-L-O-T-H-I-N-G. And that's the first sponsor of the podcast. Fucking cool. But um, yeah, so this episode is actually going to be another one of those heartfelt ones that really, really, you know, I'm very passionate about because, you know, not only the person that's on it means a lot to me you know she's very close she's like my sister but you know lupus is something that's we all need to be aware of and in order for you to learn more about it and just in case if you know anybody that has it um this episode will kind of give you a little insight on what it is and someone that's living with it and pretty much you know the journey with it so if this is something you want to learn which i'm pretty sure it is once the music's done It'll begin. And that's about it. So hopefully you guys enjoy this one. And and that's pretty much it for me. So let's do this, shall we? Welcome, everybody, to Verbally Harassed Podcast. This is episode 23. And, um, yeah, hopefully everyone's doing pretty good. Um, <laughs> back at it again. Just going to, you know, kind of keep on going with the little, with a couple episodes I've been doing recently. If you haven't listened to the recent episodes, uh, highly recommend it because episode 22, you know, we talk about sobriety and, you know, domestic violence with my buddy Nick. Romero and then previously before that we talked about breast cancer you know with my other mother Julie Stewart which is by far one of my favorite episodes because it's extremely hard like just it just grabs you and 
you know, it makes you feel the feels. And then before that, you get a little bit of a lesson learned for dental hygiene with Sergio Hernandez. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to those, you can listen to those on iTunes or on SoundCloud. And if I wasn't lazy enough and I put it on YouTube, then you can watch it on YouTube and you can see our beautiful mugs. But to keep the tradition going with uh, some of some real topics that are actually part of my life and a part of a lot of people's lives and they have to, you know, see things go down the way they do, you know, the ups and the downs. May is considered Lupus Awareness Month. And I know some people that have it. And one of them is actually going to be my future sister-in-law. And, you know, I've pretty much been through it with her and I kind of will let her, you know, tell a little bit more about it. So if you don't know anything about it, you could kind of learn about it and see, you know, the story of someone that's been through it. So, you know, welcome my future sister-in-law. I was just sitting right in front of me. Hey, <laughs> um, I'm Esmeralda. And as Eric said, I'm his future sister-in-law. Um, well, a little bit about me. Um, I guess I'm, uh, I'm a blogger. I'm a lifestyle blogger. I focus a lot on personal style, uh, my travels, my unhealthy addiction to Disney, <laughs> <laughs> and just life in general, living with uh, lupus. Disney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All my money goes it, there. It's always good. Now, um, as far as lupus, though, um, let's, I guess if you want, we could give people a little bit of lesson of what is lupus. If you want, you're more than welcome to. Like I said, I know some things, but you're the one that actually went through this, so I'd rather hear it from your side. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think lupus has definitely been getting a lot of, you know, spotlight lately. I think in part to Selena Gomez with her diagnosis. Um, but I think just a lot of people don't know what it is or they just mistake it for, you know, other illnesses and, um, you just don't really do their job to educate themselves. But for those that don't know, lupus is an autoimmune disease. It's chronic illness. Uh, my immune system is pretty much overactive and, you know, it mistakes my healthy tissues and organs for an invader species and it will attack them, um, which causes inflammation and sometimes organ failure. Um, do you remember um, when you found out that you're diagnosed with lupus, like as far as your age or even just a year? Yeah, I was diagnosed in 2009 in June, but I struggled with symptoms that entire year. Uh, well, the, the first half of the year before my diagnosis, I was experiencing a lot of like joint pain and just flu-like symptoms. I was constantly fatigued. I had um, like fevers and just body aches, and I just thought I had the flu, and my doctors kind of, you know, not, not ignored it, but it just wasn't something very serious. Um, you know, they were like, we'll, we'll run tests, but we're not gonna, you know, do some extensive, you know, diagnosis or anything yet. Um, but yeah, I remember it, everything blew up after my high school graduation. I just, I cannot get out of bed. I really couldn't, I couldn't move. I couldn't really eat. I was running fevers every hour. 
And my mom was like, yeah, this is not okay. So we went to the hospital and they ran tests there and they were like, yeah, you have lupus, which is pretty interesting because most diagnoses take about six years. So mine was really fast. I don't know if it was just because I had an explosive episode that um, all the symptoms were just there and it was easier for them to diagnose. That's that's wild. Yeah. See, I didn't know that about all the symptoms that you were having. So because I remember reading about it, like, you know, little things that you could have. And um, so I'm guessing what the doctors just kind of like, like you said, like they oversaw it. So they didn't see it as going something more serious than it should have been. Yeah. Which that's kind of a bummer. Um well, so then uh once they finally figured it out, like did you start doing research on it? You know, was there anything that um pushed you to kind of I mean, of course you want to learn more about it. Yeah. I mean, I I also didn't mention, but I was 17 going on 18 when I was diagnosed and um you know, I didn't really know anything about lupus. The only honestly, the only way I knew about it was through America's Next Top Model. One of the models had lupus and I would I binge watched the entire show like before or during my high school years and um you know, me being curious, I looked it up, but I never thought it would come up again. And so when they told me that I had lupus, that was the first thing that came through my head, like, wow, that that girl had lupus. What was it again? So you know, doctors came in to try to tell me what it was, but I, I was, I think, in so much shock that I didn't know how to take it in. Um, and, well, I didn't have a smartphone then, or I didn't really have access to the internet <laughs> at the hospital, so I wasn't able to look it up. I just knew what it was based on pamphlets that they gave me. And because I was still, you know, under pediatric care, the pamphlets were very, you know, there were four children. The information, basic, yeah, they were very basic, and the information was for a child to comprehend. So it was, it was very easy for me to understand what it was. But I wanted to know more of the, um, you know, scientific things since I was very interested in that. Now, was there one thing as far as the symptoms that actually impacted more than the others? Like, I mean, I know you had the fever, but like, were you having more of like weaknesses or anything like that? Were you like actually during? During my diagnosis or like just in general? Um, well, I mean, during your diagnosis. I think it felt like I had needles all over my body. Oof. Like, I I mean, I'm not afraid of needles, but it, there is this just strange sensation that you get in your entire body where you cannot move or I couldn't walk. I mean, before I graduated high school, I was leaving school every day, like early, because I could not go through the entire day. I mean, I had to walk you know, from building to building or upstairs. And I just, I couldn't. So, you know, that sensation was probably the worst one. Oh, yeah. Because I always think about like when you get that fever and then you get like the real body, the body aches, the chills yeah. and stuff like that. And if I mean, that just was, add like, needles to that. Oof. And that's, kind of, that's yeah. kind of it. I don't mind the needles either, but I just, I think about like all that prickliness. Yeah. It's just like, I guess... What about like when your leg falls asleep, like the tingliness? Kind of like that, but just add a little bit more pain, more pinch pain. Oof. Um, so now the, after you got into the, your diagnosis on it and stuff like that, like what was like your first step that they had you do as far as like to hopefully get rid of it? You or know, it like was that? 
it was kind of crazy because if I think about it, they were, I, I honestly didn't know what was going on since I was a minor at that time. They wouldn't really tell me. It was always going through my parents or they just kind of were like, this is what we're doing. Sign papers. This is, you know, this is the plan. So they tried to explain to me what, what was going on, but I just could not understand. I was like, sure, do what you have to do. But, um, it was just basically go in the hospital. They were running tests, um, you know, biopsies and, you know, just giving me medication to, to help out, to, you know, to help me out. Um, do you remember how many pills you were taking when you first, um, when they first started like, um, giving them to you? A lot. Yeah. Cause I, I, re- <laughs> I remember you seeing, seeing you with like, I think, uh, like just all these jars. I mean, it, it looked everywhere. like a lunch bag that I carried around mm-hmm. and it, it actually was, it was kind of insulated to keep some medications like cool, but it was a lot of medication and, you know, a lot of, you know, pills, but also injections or, um, you know, treatments that, you know, intense treatments like chemotherapy, that was another, you know, thing added to the list. But I did take a lot of pills and they weren't just once a day, you know, it was multiple times a day. And so that was, that was very difficult. Oh yeah, I bet. Now, um, I want to kind of touch base on the chemotherapy a little bit because I did talk about that during the breast cancer one. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of curious if there's a difference as far as like, you know, having certain things and what they do. Like, do you remember how it was when you would go there, you know, I mean, after signing in and all that stuff? Like, do you remember your play by play of it? Well, I just want to say that like chemo isn't going to be the treatment for everyone. Every case is very different. Um not everyone gets the same treatment, the same diagnosis, even if you have the same symptoms, it's not this, you know, our organs, different organs can be affected. It's not the exact same. So not everyone gets chemotherapy. In my case, it was just the best for me. My kidneys were damaged. Uh, They had some scarring and they were just like really inflamed and the chemo kind of suppressed them. It helped to this day I don't really know how it how it worked but it just kind of helped the inflammation and help with um so that so they don't reach to organ failure I guess and um I remember my first chemo treatment was in the hospital and it was during the nighttime while I was sleeping so I wouldn't feel it um I was it was um, injected, you know, through the vein. So it's pretty similar to, like, uh, any kind of IV fluids. It's, you know, a drop system, so you don't feel the pain or you don't feel the effects of the medication right away um, or all at once. What they usually do is it's, it's, an, it's a whole, like, day process pretty much. It, I think it takes about six hours for my chemotherapy. Um, and I would have to do that monthly for two years. Um, and they first kind of give you and medicate, like they, through an IV, they inject um, some kind of like nausea medication. So that way you're not feeling a lot of the effects. And then after that is done, 
it's time for the chemo, which is, I think, that actual drug is only for an hour. And then the rest of the time is also more fluids, you know, for your body. So it's a whole day um, process. So like I said, the first time it was um, done while I was sleeping. But after that, I would have to do like outpatient care in the hospital. And for me, it was a Long Beach Memorial. And I would go once a month and... I would um, arrive at six in the morning and leave by like three, four p.m. Um, and I would, you know, just be there all day, and they would be monitoring me, give me like provide me with food, you know, that kind of thing. Was there like specific things that you could have, or there's certain things that you would want to have that they would let you? Um, as far as like foods and drinks. You know, chemo supposedly gives you, like, nausea. Um, that's why they give you, you know, anti-nausea pills before and after. Um, I never felt nauseated. I just felt very tired. Um, and I just... There were times where I felt very hungry. And there were times where I didn't just want to eat at all. Um, but I didn't really have restrictions. They... They were just wanting me to, like, drink water. They wanted me to be full of fluids. Um, now, since we're at, like, I'm kind of, I'm looking at this as, like, your, like, stages through it. Now, if you're at the chemo stage, do you remember what was, like, going through your mind, like, from the moment you are diagnosed to, like, doing chemo and taking pills? Like, I believe some people, when they see situations like this, or if they're in these situations, they always say to themselves, why me? You know, like, why do I have to go through this and type of, um, like, you know, sayings, is there anything like that that ever went through your head? Oh, definitely. I think especially because I was just graduating high school, I already had my, you know, adulthood planned. You know, I was going to go to for a year in the Bay area and, you know, live the college life and just do what you're supposed to do. And, um, yeah, that, that wasn't, that wasn't going to happen. So, um, you know, that, what was the question again? Uh, Well, I mean, like, you know, like, like feeling wise and like, you know, like even like in your head, like, were you ever like, did you ever feel like extremely depressed? I mean, it's, it's a, it's a bad situation to be in, but you know, a lot, there are some people out there that are more of like, I guess, the positiveness of it. Like, oh, you know, this is just another bump in the road. Or, and there's some people that are like, like you oh, know, yeah. like the so, other podcasts, like suicide and stuff like that. Yeah. So, I mean, because I wasn't, you know, doing what everyone around me was. Yeah, I felt pretty miserable. I was like, why, why me? I'm, I already have like my four years and future set. You know, I knew what I was going to do. And suddenly this was this popped up and was like, no, you know, you're not going to do this. Like, you're going to stay here instead. And I felt like my life suddenly had a pause. Like I wasn't able to do everything that someone my age was supposed to do. Now I was going to I just had to deal with this. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, now I have this disease and I have to figure it out and figure my life around it, you know, and I just think it's really interesting because a lot of people 
tell me all the time, they're like, wow, you're so brave for everything you went through. And, you know, you're such a trooper. But in reality, like, I don't, I don't see myself like that. It's nice to get complimented that way. But I think I just, I just wanted to move forward. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, at that time, I was like, yeah, yeah, do whatever you have to do. I just want to get out of here. I just want to be that same person that I was. And it's funny because I'm no longer that person that I wanted to be, you know, I, mm-hmm. because I had to, I had to move forward. I had to grow up in a different way. While my friends were all growing up with, you know, the, just a traditional way of going to university and growing up like that. I was growing up having to deal with an illness and the impact that it, you know, that it has physically and mentally, you know, and I just had to learn how to deal with it. I don't think I was ever depressed. I was just angry, but not really like, I don't know, not, not really upset with, the situation I just had to learn how to deal with it was it more like a like a frustration because it was literally you had to literally put your life on pause just in order to kind of like have to deal with the situation at hand yes I think that is that's what it was I was just so frustrated that I had to put everything aside for the moment because like in my head I already had this lifestyle I wanted to live and I couldn't so I I was just frustrated and so bored and I just wanted to get past it. And that's why I did everything that I had to do to just get past it. Was there anything that you would do like extra? Like, would you read more? Would you like try to watch TV more? Anything like that to kind of distract you from having to to deal with all that? Or do you just pretty much just take it like head on? Like, whatever. Let me just do what I have to do and kind of do whatever the doctor's telling me. I don't think I did anything extra um I just lived the way that I did I just kind of still did the same things that I was interested in and not really you know I don't know what about like all the like side effects that you have from like chemo and from like pills and anything like that because like I remember when you were taking it I would see you like physically have you know stuff going on I mean (sighs) So with lupus, you have moments that, you know, you kind of, um, I need more water. No, no, that's all right. Sorry. I always have a bottle because you, you never know. All the talking is starting all dried up. Mm-hmm. You notice it in your voice. Water break. <laughs> yeah. um, there's like a specific thing I wanted to say. What was it? About, like, side effects? Yeah, but, like, uh... uh. <laughs> oh, I guess, like... So, like I previously said, not every case is the same with lupus. Um, everyone's side effects to the actual illness and to whatever kind of treatment they're on is very different. Um, because I was on different treatments for so many years... Um, I experienced different side effects and just as my body was changing to the illness or reacting to it, um, my symptoms changed. And from the time I was diagnosed until I think 2013, 
I really um, had a lot of ups and downs uh, with my with my illness, and now I'm kind of stable, and that's normal for lupus. Some people have what's called like a remission state when you're kind of stable, nothing's really like changing, you know, you're kind of, you're okay. And then suddenly you'll have like a state of, you know, an episode, what they call an episode is when you're, you're flaring up, your symptoms are suddenly like a little bit more, you know, stronger than before. And you might really have an incident where you where requires like medical attention. Um, and between 2009 and 2013, I had, I was not stable. I had some ups and downs, uh, but now, you know, I can say that I'm, um, I'm at remission, but, you know, during that time I had a lot of different side effects and that just, you know, different, just different outcomes from my treatment. Like when I first started, I was on on just a lot of medications that um, they themselves had side effects. So aside from just illness symptoms, which are, you know, for me at least, it's arthritis symptoms. I get like arthritis, um, the sun will affect me, I'll get really fatigued, I get really tired easily, I'm sometimes like really confused, and these are all normal. Um, but, you know, aside from that, I was dealing with the um, drug medications, which, you know, it's weight loss, weight gain, um, loss of appetite. Um, my skin just became really um, discolored. I was bruising really easily and losing hair. You know, it just so many different side effects. And the biggest one, um, I think, was not even the chemo side effects. Um, you know, I lost my hair, my color changed, like just different things happened, but I don't think they were as big as the side effects from the um, steroids I was on. Now, these aren't steroids to make me buff or anything, <laughs> but, you know, most people or an average person can take steroids for many reasons. It can be asthma, it can be um, acne, but it's very low doses. Hmm. But for me, I was on like, 60 to 80 milligrams a day, which is super high, but it was, I was taking them to, um, to move. It's for, mo for mobility. You know, there's a time where I could not walk because of my joints or that feeling of, um, needles sensation. Um, the steroids helped me be mobile. Uh, so I was taking them for such a long time that steroids are very dangerous. <laughs> they can have extreme side effects. And unfortunately, I was um, one of the few who kind of get long-term, you know, damage from from taking the steroids. And the um, the side effects from steroids that I that I had were bone loss. So my left femur just completely dissolved <laughs> you know it just like the steroids caused it to dissolve and even to this day I can have some kind of bone loss so I get um you know bone density tests done every year to make sure that none of my bones are breaking suddenly um and I think another 
side effect from steroid use is just, um, you know, this, I think weight gain, you know, but, you know, that's just another, yeah. It's another common thing when yeah. it comes down to medication. Yeah, that's just really common. Um, but I think the bone loss is the biggest, um, you know, side effect that I've had. Did you, um, now when you were going through all that and like the hair loss, um, like how, how did you feel like, like when you were losing your hair, like what, like, that's what I'm curious on. What went through <laughs> your mind for that? Because for men, you know, men, we, we usually just shave our heads and call it a day. Um, I mean, there are women that do it too. They're models that, you know, have the extremely short hair. But, like, for your condition and you were losing it, like, what was kind of going through your head when you were coming down to it? You know, I never really thought about my hair or seen it as something um, protective or something very precious that I, you know, that I value um, until my hair started falling out. Uh, you know, when I had my first chemo dose, it was a low dose. And from there, it only went higher. And I didn't really see any um, hair loss from it the first time around until the second round. And it just started coming out in the shower in clumps. And I didn't really know how to react. I just showed my mom and I just freaked out. But, um, you know, I was like, it's okay. It's just a little bit. I mean, I had really, I have really thick hair and it you know, I, it was something that I could just hide. But as the months passed, my hair was just falling out in bits. But I held on to every last, you know, hair strand that I had. You know, for the longest, I would just wear a beret and just cover, you know, the bald spots until I finally like just looked in the mirror and I was like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> like, there's just hair at the front of my head and, you know, by my ears and in the back. Like, it's it's very visible. I need to do something. So it was then that I just decided to, you know, shave it off or buzz, however you want to say it. <laughs> um, and I did. And it was kind of liberating. You know, it, it just, I realized, like, hair is hair. It's going to grow back. And it actually looked kind of cool on me. <laughs> you know, I didn't have a bad head shape. So I I liked it. And um, it was also new hair that was growing back. So it was so soft. And from then on, I really, like, valued my hair. It's like, okay, I need to, you know, I lost it. I'm going to, like, take care of it. So I'm taking, like, better care of my hair now. But I, I don't think I really felt, you know, from the initial, so initial shock, I did feel, like, upset. But then I just kind of got over it because I thought it looked cool, <laughs> you know? What about like uh for like wigs and stuff like that? Oh yeah, I mean I did you know when I was kind of like balding more I felt really self-conscious when I because it was during the holidays and you know we were going out, I was going to be part of a wedding and I was like I can't look like this. So I I wanted to have my full hair again. So I went wig shopping and um, that made me feel really comfortable to have, you know, a new set of hair and also like different hair colors, like, you know, that I never tried because <laughs> I never and 
you know, I never and I probably won't ever <laughs> dye my hair. So it was just fun to play around with things. And um, I got a wig and just a little bit, you know, lighter hair, um, lighter color than what I naturally have. Uh, so kind of like a light brown. And I liked it. It was pretty cool to have a wig, but it was tiring. It was itchy. And once I really learned how to like love my hair or love my like, you know, newly buzzed head, I was just like, I'm done with the wig. Was it like um, hard to maintain as far as like being a wig? No, I, I don't think so. Um, Are there levels to those things? What That's do you what mean? I'm curious on. Like, do they have like, OK, this is the cheapest that feels like costume hair and then you oh, <laughs> yeah the i mean stuff. the thing is i tried getting a um a wig through you know the um the foundations that provide wigs for people who go through um chemotherapy or who just have an illness that causes hair loss uh, but i never got answers so i put action to it and i decided to get one for myself and one of my um one of the criteria that I had was to have a, like, a wig made of human hair, like real hair. Um, and, you know, that when you go wig shopping, there's just a range of them. There's, you know, the costume slash cos- cosplay, like, you know, type of wigs that are just kind of synthetic. Um, and then they go a little bit fancier, you know, where it's kind of mixed synthetic and um, real hair. Or it's, you know, a wig that is made with real human hair. Um, and you know, just prices range on the type of wig, the, um, you know, how full it is, the color, the style. Uh, but you you remember seeing what was the most expensive? I don't, I never checked prices. I just tried them on. (laughs) It could be on like $500. Like, Oh, but it looks so good in it. Yeah. I would just try them on just to see what I would like before actually, you know, diving in and making the purchase. Um, do you recall like all the times that you, when you were staying in the hospital and like how, how that was? I mean, no one wants to stay in a hospital. Let's just be real about yeah. it. But like, do you remember like having all your visitors come over? Because I remember and I told Jessica <laughs> that I felt like we were there almost every week. And when yeah. she would come back down, ta- come down from school, like, OK, well, what are we going to do? Well, let's go visit Ez because she's over there. Yeah, well. So when I was first diagnosed, I was in the hospital from June to the end of July. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I mean, um, it was summertime. Yeah. So I was only there for a month. And um, then after that, I was hospitalized again in August for complications. Um, and then... After that, the only other time I was in the hospital was for my surgery. Um, I had a left hip replacement um, after my bone loss. Um, But, you know, I think throughout everything, um, I think it was overwhelming to have a lot of people in the hospital uh, just because I was trying to figure out what was going on and then everyone else was asking me questions and I didn't know I didn't have answers um and 
you know, the nurses were going in and out, doctors were coming, you know, and I think the most interesting time of day was the um, resident doctor visits. Uh, So once a day during the week, a doctor would come in with about four to five like student doctors and the main doctor would go in and kind of give them like my information. They're like, oh, this is a young girl who has this and this and this. And the other doctors would just kind of nod their head, look at me and like write notes. And then they would walk away. Like a movie. Yeah. And it was just like really <laughs> awkward because I was just a case. You know, it didn't, it kind of dehumanized me because I was just like this case and they were just there. I think I'd be mad. I'd be like, what am I, a freak show over here? Yeah. Um, but there were times where that company was you know, pleasing. It was, it was nice to have company. It was enjoyable. There were just times where I just wanted to be alone. Um, you know, and I was there for what, 4th of July weekend. So of course, like, you know, everyone was out and that was a time where I just, I just didn't want to be there. You know, I was like, why am I here? I should be camping. I should be at the pool, not here. I think I remember being there for that too. I think there's like a little bench on the side and I think me and Jessica were like sitting there. We're all just like hanging out and stuff. Yeah. Damn. See, now I'm starting to recall all the things because yeah. it's like everyone it always tells back. me, your memory's terrible, Eric. You don't remember anything. <laughs> I remember some of the little things. Um, do you do you know when was the last time you had an episode? Because, I mean, I, I personally don't know. So I don't know if you've had anything within like previous years or like the... Do you know what year you had your your most recent episode? Well, I think the only major flare that I've had is when I was diagnosed. Ever since then, it's been kind of controlled. Every now and then, I do get like some some symptoms. So there might be days where I just feel very tired. There might be days where my joints are are hurting. They're a lot more swollen than usual. They're more stiff. And I think it's it's very seasonal. Um, stress is a big factor in causing a flare. So if I'm stressed out, uh, I can feel a lot more irritated and fatigued. But I don't think I've had a really big flare, and I'm trying to prevent one, you know, from happening. I know. I know how to like when to listen to my body and how to listen to it, you know, and prevent something from happening. Do you feel like um like this stage that you've been through in your life? I mean, you have you have it now. Like, is there any way of it actually disappearing? Or is it something you're gonna have for the rest of your life? No. So it's it's not something that is curable. Unfortunately, uh, there is no cure, and it's something that I will have for the rest of my life. Uh, most people get diagnosed uh, during like their young adulthood, and um that just happened to be me so I'm gonna be living with this for the rest of my life it just has to be manageable you know does it jeopardize anything as far as like um like pregnancies or anything like that like let's say for like the for the future yeah it it does um I think with any illness though you just have to be careful with what you're doing and um with lupus because I know about it um it does jeopardize I think everything, every decision you make in your life, uh, that's, you know, you just have to think about it. Um, 
because you have to consider what if I get sick and how am I feeling and will I be able to do that? Um, you know, in the case of childbearing, like it's not something that I can just do <laughs> spontaneously. I have to plan it and I have to think, how will it affect me? How will it affect the child? How's it going to affect my relationship with the partner? And, you know, I'm going to be tired. And do I really want to go through periods of exhaustion during, you know, prenatal and postnatal? Um, and then in the case of just, you know, spontaneously moving across the country to, you know, a place that doesn't have, you know, great health care or something, I can't just do that as much as I want to go and help out you know, somewhere in like, I don't know, like Africa or, um, you know, Latin America, I, I can't, I can't just do that because I'm exposed to, uh, well, with lupus, you, you have a, um, your immune system, it's more vulnerable to like disease and you're more likely to catch any kind of illness. So if I'm in an area that isn't so sanitary, I'm gonna, you know, be exposed to it. And I can't, I can't do that. So I think any decision that I make in life, I have to think about, you know, my healthy, my health first. So would you say it hits you harder now then? Like if you do get sick or the flu, like it's compared to someone that just gets like maybe like 50% of the symptoms, like do you feel like you get 100% and like doubles on you? Yeah, because I am more vulnerable to catching like a cold um I can't be exposed to a lot of like you know insanitary places and places where I'm gonna catch you know different germs and bacteria um so I have to get the flu shot every year and you know because if I catch it I think it can be potentially deadly for me you know my immune system is already suppressed it's very low so I don't think I'd be able to fight it like any other healthy person would um i know you you studied abroad which people will mm -hmm. know now and um you and jessica did go to paris in october yes which whatever but <laughs> um <laughs> <You're just jealous. laughs> now you know having lupus and stuff like that and when you were planning these trips was there anything that you had to actually like like analyze before you actually oh, yeah. go on the planes and stuff i mean especially with studying abroad more than i did just going to Paris, uh, that was something that almost didn't happen. Um, you know, I was regularly seeing my, my doctors and, uh, I think one of my blood tests turned out to have like, you know, numbers that they just didn't like. Um, they were a little bit higher than normal. Um, and my doctor was like, yeah, I'm pretty concerned about this. Um, you know, maybe we should do a biopsy and see how you're doing, you know, because it could potentially cause a flare. And I freaked out because I had already applied to study abroad. I was accepted. I was like already planning my semester abroad in my head. And, um, you know, he's like, well, we have to do this biopsy. And from there, like, we'll decide what to do next. So I did a biopsy in December and my study abroad trip started in January. So I just really wanted the results, you know, to come back positive. So, um, 
they eventually did. And, you know, he gave me the okay to go. So that was something that I had to consider, you know, my health first. I had to make sure that, you know, I had an exam, like a whole physical exam to make sure that nothing was wrong with me that could potentially cause a flare while I'm abroad because that's, you know, it's a, that's a nightmare. Imagine being, you know, in a country you don't know and even though they speak English, you know, it's a lot different like and having to deal with a flare without your family or without any help. Um, medical help, th- thankfully I had, but, um, you know, just in general, what if, you know, being somewhere that's not your home. Um, so I had to do all that before going abroad and um, just kind of getting a okay from my doctors, you know, and making sure that I had enough medication to go with me. Um, and unfortunately, in this like American healthcare system, um, I was only allowed like three month supply of medication. But luckily, I um, I had healthcare in Scotland, and I got medication there just by a prescription, you know, from from here. So it worked out in the end. You know, but there are definitely a lot of things you should consider. You know, first, if you're feeling healthy, you know, you should you should go. But if you're not feeling your best, then, you know, really consider it because you don't want an emergency in a place that's not your home. You know? Was there more precautions as far as going to to study abroad in Paris? Because I mean, in Paris, you, you're more, yeah, you know, it's a lot, uh, you're a lot healthier than you were before and all that. Stuff. Not just that, but studying abroad is not just, oh, I'm going on vacation for a week you know, it's half a year. So I was going to be away for half a year. I had to make sure that I was going to be okay, you know, for the rest of the time instead of, you know, Paris, it was two weeks. Like I I knew I was feeling fine. I was going to go regardless, you know, but sitting abroad, I really had to have a checklist before (laughs) going. To make sure all your angles were covered. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's living somewhere for half a year. I was actually asking this question before, but I guess I went to something else. I was going to ask you that uh, if you feel like this stage of life that you went through provided you with uh, like more strength or like, do you see things differently now as far as since you've had lupus? Yeah, definitely. And like I commented earlier, um, when I was diagnosed, I just wanted to, you know, go through treatment to be the same. I just wanted to be that person that I was and then after going through everything, I ended up not being that person that I was. And that's because, you know, I just have a different mindset now. Um, it definitely just changed everything, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. I'm just a changed person. My personality definitely changed. Um, you know, and it, it just, it also stems on like, you know, how everyone reacts to my diagnosis as well because it, I see how they treat me. So I'm like, okay, I, you know, I have to be like this or I should be like this. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if I want to say like, I feel stronger or anything, but, um, in a way I'm kind of like, you know, anything can come, come up for me and I'll be willing to like fight it. Um, because I've already been through so much, you know, physically, um, and mentally, but, um, yeah, I definitely have a different perspective on life and, you know, even perspective on, on other people as well. You know, I've been through so much, but I still fight for what I want. And like, I still continue to, you know, 
try to achieve my dreams and whatnot. So, you know, if I can do it, I don't think anyone has an excuse not to, you know, that's, but that's just my mentality. And, you know, I was actually going to ask you, like, what you learned from it as far as this experience. And it's funny because I was looking at my notes and I don't know how, but I accidentally deleted the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I went back to my recently deleted and I found it, I guess, because on the iPhone, the trash can on the left. And I think my palm just touched it. But uh, is there like any words of encouragement that, you know, you don't want to reach out to people that, you know, just diagnosed that are going through it and stuff like that since, I mean, you've been going through it for so long? You know, it's it's kind of hard to give advice just because I wasn't given any advice. I was so alone in this. I mean, lupus, I'm the only one in the family that has it, mm. you know, and like what diabetes runs in my family. So does like hypertension or thyroid issues or um, arthritis, but not lupus. So I was the only one and I felt you know, at times so alone because I couldn't relate to anyone. Uh, if I can say anything to anyone that just newly diagnosed is that you're not alone. Like there are so many people out there who are experiencing this and it's just a matter of reaching out and searching for it, you know, and that wasn't something that I did initially because I was so confused and I just, I have, I had and have, you know, a strong family support system that they're there to help me out help me get through it but some people don't have that you know and they want someone to relate to um so I think it's just really important to look through all your resources whether on Instagram Twitter Facebook wherever it is like there's someone out there who is most likely like relatable to you that's I mean that's a good way to look at it because like for me it's like i've seen you go through all your stages yeah and i've been there since the beginning to like now and i mean i'm not going anywhere let's just be real (laughs) so i'm gonna see everything from now on and um it's it's crazy journey that i've seen you go through from from the the highest to the lowest you know and it's one thing i didn't think about either was that when you're graduating you had that wall where it's like okay we need to stop you need to go through this first and then to go study abroad, that wall came back again. But luckily, you're able to pass it, you know, yeah. without having to deal with anything. So that's that's kind of crazy that you had it twice pretty much happen to you. Yeah. And overcame both of them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's still a lot, though. I think I missed out on a lot of um, my young adulthood. And I'm kind of making up for it now. But it feels so strange to me because I'm much older than everyone else, you know, and I'm just starting over. So it feels so weird because I I feel out of place or I feel that, you know, I have to fall into society's stigma that's just like, no, you have to do things by a certain age. And like, oh, this is when you have babies and this is when you do this, this and that. Or yeah. And it's like, oh, when you finish school, you have to get a job, you have to do this. And that's not me because my circumstances are so different. But, you know, I haven't found anyone that is very similar that I can look up to. And I hope that I can be that person for someone, um, you know, who might be listening, someone who is following me somewhere on, on, you know, online or what they can see what I'm going through and be like, Hey, you know, she's, she's trying to start her life over, you know, despite having this, 
you know, what is it called? Like this, um, symptom? No, like a, yeah, kind of like a roller coaster. This something to overcome. Like she's overcoming something, and you know, I can do it too. I mean, I appreciate you taking the time to, you know, want to share your story because yeah. you know, stuff like this, a lot of people don't want to talk about because it hits too close to home. They get embarrassed and you not, know, little not things just like that, that, but I think also, um, there was, there was one car that I, that I remember so much, um, that someone gave me a family member. They wrote that, um, you know, all of this might seem really hard right now, but it'll just be a memory later on. And that's how it feels. To be honest, some days I totally forget I have lupus. Sometimes like I don't take my meds because I forget, you know, I feel fine. And it feels like a memory. It feels like something that happened. I mean, it did happen years ago, but I felt like it just something in a dream that, I mean, we forget about it, you know, and. um, Yeah, I was going to say more of like a dream just for the fact that it's, it could be blurry, but at the same time, you still remember details of everything that went down with it. Yeah. But it's a, I mean, if you're like, for anyone listening, if you see her, you would not know that there's anything wrong with her. Like, at <laughs> well, it's, all. it's an invisible illness. I mean, it's not physical. You can't tell that I'm, I have any kind of illness. You know, I'm not with a mobility device or I don't have like any physical, um, no extensions, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, nothing. And I mean, you, you would not know. Unless you ask me, like some if somehow it comes up in a conversation, because I don't disclose it to anyone unless you've been there with me or it somehow pops up, whether it's like, wait, you were in school for this long and you haven't done anything. And it's like, oh, wait, hold on. So this is a story, you know, it, it, it unless that happens, no one will know. Or you just get the yeah. knife and stab him. Like, why are you asking me these questions for? Stab, stab, stab. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Let, let him have it. I mean, because um, I remember when I first heard that you had it and, you know, everything went down the way it did. Um, you know, your sister was constantly giving me updated. You know, I, I was trying to do my best to visit you when you're at the hospital and all that stuff. And I remember us doing the lupus run, which mm. for everyone knows I'm big. I'm not going to run it. I'm just going to walk. <laughs> I walk really fast. And, like, I remember us doing that and... You know, I remember getting, like, the bracelet. And, like, I literally wore this bracelet every single day. You know, I wear it for you. I wear it mm-hmm. for my sister-in-law. You know, my other one. So, it's, like, for me, it's, like, it's a part of me that it never comes off. Anyone that knows me knows yeah. that I wear it every day. I mean, because it's an experience that you went through. Whether, you know, you didn't physically go through it, but you saw someone else go through it. And it maybe, like, sparked some kind of creativity. Or not creativity. Like, curiosity. That's the word. I was going to say you know, creativity. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, it sparked, like, <laughs> curiosity. Like, wait, what's going on? What What is this? And, like, you know, you do your research and you want to, like, tell people and you want to be involved. Yeah, because, like, when I did uh, my previous episode about breast cancer, you know, bringing awareness to that, which everyone knows about it. But, you know, at the same time, you know, hearing the story from, you know, my other mother, like I like to call her, it's... um it blows my mind because you do see these things you do hear about other people going through these situations but to actually sit down and hear the story of the person yeah. from their point of view it's it's mind-boggling like it, bl- it, it blows it at the same time so that's why i do appreciate you taking the chance to you know sit down tell your story yeah, and everyone else that's willing to do it and 
then this podcast just gets serious and serious every time. <laughs> <laughs> but, I think that's uh, good though because you're you're bringing awareness you know, to people who might not know these things. And I didn't even know that it was in May until yeah. I saw you post it and I saw people talking about it. I was like, oh, it's for May. And I was like, well, this is a perfect time to talk about it. Yeah. Because I've always had you on the list of someone I wanted to sit down and talk to about this. And mm-hmm. now it's finally come and May is like the perfect time to do it. So it's pretty interesting. Um, now, I know you did something recently for the Lupus Awareness Day, which I was did. yesterday, May 10th. And uh, I don't know if you want to share that. Yeah, of course. So as I mentioned, I I blog. And as part of my blog, I decided to open up um, topics on my blog aside from just personal style. And I wanted to talk about lupus because, it you know, again, this goes to being an inspiration for someone or someone that, you know, is looking for, you know, someone they can relate to. Um, I wanted to be that person. So I decided to write about my life with lupus, how I overcome things, how I deal with, you know, certain struggles or different obstacles in life. And um, I decided to dedicate the month of May to topics um, relating to lupus, how I deal with it, what it is, you know, implicate like complications from it, you know, everything. And, um, you know, I just started, this is the second week, and this is the first topic. Uh, yesterday was World Lupus Day, and I, being, you know, a hardcore Disney fan, and always at Disneyland, I decided to write an article about how I deal with Disney, because Disney hangover is real. <laughs> you know, the older that I get, and, yep. you know, with the illness, I get really tired, you know, that day and the next day, and sometimes, like, a few days after, Um, So I wanted to talk about how I deal with it, how I've dealt with it, um, you know, throughout my entire diagnosis, because believe it or not, the first year that I was diagnosed, I went to Disneyland. I went for December. My whole family went and, you know, I used like some of their services and I still use their services. So I just wanted to, you know, write an article about some tips, how I, how I deal with it and how someone else can, you know, um, maybe be, you know, maybe use those tips and, um, you know, just kind of fight like fatigue and exhaustion from Disney. But, you know, every week I'm going to have, every week I'm going to have a different topic. And some of those, you know, just will deal with like my insecurities with lupus, um, complications, the, you know, toll it takes on relationships, you know, just different things. Relationships meaning like it could be romantic relationships or just family relationships, friends, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, I'll be talking about it, you know, pretty, pretty personal topic um, the entire month. And if people want to check this out, where can they find out more about this stuff that you're going to start pushing in there? If you're interested in reading more about lupus, head over to my blog, which is linked on my Instagram, A Daring Damsel. And that is A-D-A-R-I-N-G-D-A-M-S. El, It will be linked in the information section. Just click on it and you'll head to my personal blog. And from there, you can go ahead and just look at the different topics I have and click on lupus and you'll see all the articles that I've written about my life with lupus. Or you just browse around the Instagram and yeah. check out all the stuff. I mean, too. while you're at it, you can definitely just do your own research. Google lupus, look at the lupus foundation you know, website or their Instagram page, whichever you prefer and 
just educate yourself. You yeah. Know, spread awareness. Yeah, I mean, I got educated by listening to this. So yeah, make sure you guys follow her on Instagram. And uh, what is it that you're doing with the Instagram? Actually, no, we're a little bit off topic. It's kind of just accompanying my blog. It's just all fashion. All no, it's it's fashion, Disney, travel, and lupus. And I kind of want to open it up to different topics, but I'm still, I'm still brainstorming. You know, it started off as a personal style blog, but you know, the older that I've gotten, I like talking about different things. So why not add it in there? Always good. You always got to promote that in there. Yeah. So yeah, well then, um, we're hitting about an hour, which is usually my uh, minimum. And I'm, like I said, I'm happy the way this went. A lot of information, a lot of stories. Yeah, they can't hear that. Yeah, but <laughs> it's like sir- really ghetto. There's, there's sirens in the ghetto. Back. I don't know. There's there's podcasts I listen to. They have sirens on there too. But um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, thank you. You know, as one more time for being on the podcast. You know, for sharing your story, yeah, for having me. bringing awareness and all that fun stuff, and uh. You know, maybe we'll do another one in the future with an update, see how everything's going with you. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I'll get emails and people are like, oh, you know, I want to learn more. And then if I do, I'll just share them with yeah, you. Definitely. And if you guys do have questions, you have you're more than welcome to contact me as well at verbally harassed at yahoo.com. Or you can go ahead and go onto my Instagram or my blog and just leave me a comment or you you know, DM me. Okay, perfect. So they so now, you know, you're not alone. You have people that you could get information from. Um even if you're someone that wants to talk about your story, you know, no matter what it is that you're going through, whether it's lupus, breast cancer, anything like that, I would love to sit down and talk to people about these things because these are things that need to be, you know, out there. And a lot of people, like I say in all my episodes, we don't sit down and have conversations anymore. Everything is literally through technology, which nothing's wrong with it. But at the same time, we still need to have that face-to-face uh, interaction with each other. But um, so, yeah, thank you again. Let me just... uh finally got to end it with a sponsor on deck clothing um i will mention this in the beginning of the podcast which you know you'll probably hear it which on deck is a company started by my friend anthony and uh he has a lot of cool stuff uh i'll explain more about it in the intro uh which you probably already heard because you're at the end of this episode already but if you get a chance make sure you check out on deck clothing on instagram and you know you could check them out also on facebook and to make any purchases you have to dm them text them or call them and if you mention verbally harassed podcast don't forget you will get for a limited time free domestic shipping on any order big or small so make sure you check on deck that's o-n-d-e-c-k clothing and that's pretty much it is i think we're good we hit the hour and i just lost my breath right there <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> all right so uh, thank you guys for listening if you haven't hit that subscribe button you already know what to do and uh anything else you good bye bye that's it check her out and uh check out these other episodes that we got and uh talk to you on the next one peace